Ignite Your Influence podcast today welcomes Jill May, expert on raising funds. Fundraising, scary, icky to some of us, but absolutely necessary so all of our wonderful nonprofits can make it happen. So my good friend Jill May is on Ignite Your Influence podcast episode 132 today with us to talk about how she builds those relationships, how she builds the trust, how she creates relationships where they know she's a fundraiser and is going to ask for money and they still pick up the phone when she calls them. So awesome insights today on building trust and on how to build those relationships over the long term. Um, She talks about transparency, she talks about honesty, and she talks about, again, building influence so people want to connect with you. Jump in and enjoy. Welcome to Ignite Your Influence podcast. Jill May, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. And we are doing the rare pandemic in-person interview. So I'm super excited to have you here in the studio. I wasn't sure if you were going to disclose that. I, I did. <laughs> I did. But you're in my, what do they call it? I'm in your bubble. You're in my bubble. Yeah, we've been in each other's bubble. So Jill and yeah. I are good friends. And Jill is an influencer in the nonprofit uh, realm. And I remember being really impressed when we first met each other because she was like, you know, I got to the point that when I call rich people, they pick up the phone. And I was like, that's somebody with influence. And so as I was thinking about my podcast and getting somebody on, I knew that Jill would be a great one to bring on the show. So Jill, tell us a little bit about your business and what you do. Well, my business is Trisector Consulting. I started it about a year and a half ago. It's a consulting firm for, to, for nonprofit organizations. Um, specifically around fundraising and raising funds, fund development, building relationships in order to raise money to sustain and grow an organization. Um, And so I focus on sort of four different types of uh, markets that I raise money from. So individual donors, so those would be wealthy individuals. then corporations, businesses, and so I oftentimes will, uh, that's one of my um, expertise really is in corporate fundraising, corporate relations, and then foundations. So those organizations that are uh, foundations, it might be a community foundation, could be a family foundation, um, could be even a corporate foundation. So sometimes there's a little bit of crossover. Um, So that would be grant writing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the fourth is government entities. So I also raise money from through government entities, the federal government, state government, local governments as well. So those are sort of my four uh, types of donors that I work with that all require a little bit of a different strategy. Mm -hmm. And, And it's one of those things that I've been on a few boards now of a few different nonprofits. And the hardest thing is to get people to get involved with raising money. And so I've always been kind of distantly impressed by what you do because it's usually the job people don't want to do. And you know, it's so funny you say that because when I was actually setting out to determine my career, which everyone knows is a tough thing to do when you're first starting out as a young person, um, I knew that I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to be involved in the community. Uh, and as I started to really explore and research that, I, I, I learned that that was working in a nonprofit. And so I knew I wanted to work in a nonprofit. Um, and from there, I couldn't decide exactly what role I would want to play in a nonprofit. And so I did some exploring. And I think in my personality and my knee jerk reaction was like social work, uh, direct service, you know, directly helping people with their basic needs 
whether that's through you know a food bank or counseling or or you know domestic violence services what whatever it might be that's where my first thought was and then i really did some self reflection about that and i i knew myself really well and thought I don't think I have good enough boundaries <laughs> to provide, oh, to provide yeah. direct services to people without, uh, in, you know, um, internalizing it mm-hmm. and really making it offering personal you know, services, my, my life. Yeah, you know? sure. I, right. I pictured myself having like battered women living on my couch every night and homeless kids stacked up in the <laughs> extra bedroom. <laughs> and, you know, and I thought, wow, I, I don't know if I have the right boundaries or the right wherewithal Mm -hmm. as a person to be able to provide direct service and not let it overcome my life. Mm -hmm. And so what else can I do to contribute to a cause without having that, you know, um, problem for myself? And so I, again, kept reflecting. I did some exploring. I actually did some internships and I ended up interning under uh, a fundraiser at a nonprofit. And she and I just hit it off. She became a long-term mentor for me. And, um, that is, it really was through meeting her, doing the internship and realizing, yes, I can raise money and that is still a way that I can, you know, contribute. And the more I got to know the profession, the more I realized nobody likes to do that. Right. Yeah. So it was also a really great, um, you know, job um Security. Differentiator. Yeah, 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 right. I know that no one else wants to do it, so I'll do it. <laughs> and so I kind of think about it like I'm taking one for the team. Like no one wants to do it. I will do it, you know. And through that, I've strived to become an expert and to become really good at it. Um, and so that, yeah, I, I will say now more and more you're starting to see the profession grow and more young people are getting involved especially I think next these next generations come through millennials and Gen Z's they are so community minded and so you are starting to see some young people come into fundraising and it is becoming a more competitive job um, market around it uh, but when I started you know 30 25 years ago um, yeah there were so few and far between us <laughs> that wanted to do it and it still does we know it makes people uncomfortable and um, so yeah I definitely think of it as uh, something that I do be- so that other people don't have to be uncomfortable there and also a way that I can contribute. And also funding is a critical piece Huge. Of, of any organization or any business. Yeah. You can't do anything without funding. Right. And so that is also kind of a form of job security for me. And, and also just knowing that what I'm contributing is essential. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, how do you build those donor relationships? Because especially with a foundation, especially with like a nonprofit, like Warm Hearts Foundation, like I work with, we need those long-term donor relationships. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important. It's not a one-time thing where you sell them a sick puppy and they give you a few bucks and you move on. Like, how do you build the influence so those people keep answering your call? <laughs> that is a million-dollar question. Right? Ooh, Can was... you answer that here? <laughs> people should know Ann and I like puns. So we talk about million-dollar question raising money. Yes. But on... But on... Yeah. Um, this, this, uh, this session could probably be full of those. Uh, knowing <laughs> I you hope it Know is. you and I. <laughs> I feel like we have a text thread that goes back and forth, just puns. Just <laughs> that and puns. pickle texts. <laughs> yeah, pickle texts. Yeah. Um, so how do you cultivate those relationships? Well, that is the million dollar question and that is what people pay me for. Um, and uh, so I will say, I I think of myself, and I, I know I do because I've talked with other fundraisers about this, I have a unique approach and a, a unique perspective on the way I approach my work. And 
So like, as we've said, fundraising makes people uncomfortable. You know, you feel like you're putting a hand out. You kind of feel like you're begging. You know, it just makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel icky. Um, and I don't feel that way. And when I work with others to fundraise, I help them to not feel that way. Uh, and my first approach is the way you think about it. So don't think about it as though you're asking for a handout. Don't think about it as though you're putting someone out. The way I look at it is that I, I think of myself as like a connector between people and their passions, sort of a catalyst, if you will. Um, people are passionate about things. They want to get involved. They want to, you know, wh whoever it might be. It doesn't have to be puppies. Maybe it's snowboarding. Maybe they want to be involved in the Snowboarding Association. That's a nonprofit, you know. Maybe it's... Um, you know, you talked about uh, adopting a, you know, the Humane Society, or it could be, you know, a food bank, or it could be um, the Chamber of Commerce. You uh -huh. know, all of those are nonprofit organizations and so many different missions. There's always something out there that someone can connect with, well, and no matter what their passion is. Totally. And as we talk about long-term relationships and fundraising, it also goes for sales. It also goes mm -hmm. for having difficult conversations at work. Mm -hmm. If you're creating that long-term relationship and instead of thinking about it as this yucky moment, right. but think about it as selling to somebody's passions, mm -hmm. what they want to do with their career or the product that you're selling or mm -hmm. service that you're selling or the nonprofit that they may be passionate about. It's You're saying to shift that mindset around those icky moments mm -hmm. to being, I'm helping you step into something that you may be passionate about. Exactly. Look at yourself as helping. You're the connector. You're the networker. I think of myself as the connector or the networker. And that's how and you I do that very, that very well. Yeah. And, and advise with. And you're making people happy. So it's a win-win. It's a win for the organization, of course. They need the money, right, mm -hmm. to, to work on their organization. That's the other thing I always help, tell people to think about. It's not the organization that needs the money. It's the people they're serving. So think about it as the, the recipient of the services. So if it's a domestic violence shelter, it's the woman they're serving in that shelter who need the money mm. for you to donate and give and give to the organization so they can provide those services to make that woman's life better. So it's that it's the it's the population, it's the 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 ultimate end user, the recipient of the services who needs that money, not right. the organization. And so try to think about it that way because mm -hmm. then uh but then also um back to the um the thought about the the win-win, um then also the person donating, it's a win for them too because you are getting something out of it. And I don't want to get into, and maybe we can, I don't think we have time today, get into the debate about is, is altruism, what's the definition of altruism, and, and is there really such a thing as, oh, as altruism? Selfless giving, right. yeah. Um, I don't want to get into that, or we can, That's I a guess. totally different podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the donor always gets something out of it as well. And so uh, think about that as they're not out money, they actually gain something mm -hmm. from it. And people are motivated to give by any number of ways. It's obviously something they're passionate about. Um, it's obviously for them, it's something that they want to participate in. They wanna, they feel good that they've contributed to something they care about, and so they get that good feeling back. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, in, in, you know, and this is out there too, sometimes it is driven by recognition. I mean, mm -hmm. when you see donor names on the sides of big buildings, yeah. Um, college, university buildings, uh, hospital buildings, you know, out in the world you see donor names on things. That is a motivator for some people. They well, like to be recognized. And perfect example also mm -hmm. is the uh, blood type 
uh, St. Patrick's Day socks that I got when I gave blood a couple weeks ago. It was, <laughs> they didn't name a building after me, but I did get something walked out <laughs> yeah, the door. Something. It's a little bit of a minor yeah, example, yeah. but. <laughs> and then you also think about sometimes, um, it's about building experiences for you with your friends or people you care about. So maybe it's a run. We both love to yeah. do runs and yep. we'll do fundraising runs and we like to do them together. Uh, but, and you, I know are always doing something, uh, a virtual run that then is a fundraiser, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's also, the donor can also get things like that out of it, out of making experiences, having experiences around the event, around the organization and their mission. Um, it could be a run, it could be a, um, uh, you know, a, a, one of those fancy dinners that people like to go to and get all dressed up for. It could be an award ceremony that your friend is being honored. You know, it could be any number of things. It's also about building experiences that people can have around the mission that also they enjoy. Helps and it brings people together around with their friends and their family around the mission. Yeah. Um, so there's a, a, that's just this kind of some of the obvious ones. But we really got into the psychology of giving. There's countless numbers sure. of things that the donor gets out of the transaction as well. And then, of course, you as the connector always feel good. You know, if you're the professional fundraiser like myself, that's how you continue you to also maintain. Get paid. Yeah, you maintain <laughs> and grow your career. And eat Cheetos. Um, but if you're a volunteer, <laughs> then you can also feel good about knowing that you um, made that connection and you made the person feel good and you helped the organization. And, you right. know, it's just, it's always a win. And so... If you think about fundraising in that positive aspect, it makes it less uncomfortable. Uh, it makes it more authentic mm-hmm. and it's going to be mm. more effective. Right. And if we could all approach the way we do fundraising this way, honestly, I think it could have a bigger impact on the overall community and the way that we address our missions mm-hmm. and, and achieve our missions and yeah. our organizations. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, and again, those, this relationship building is, mm-hmm. is I think one of the key pieces because Definitely. as I move into some of the sales relationships, as I'm building my retreat business mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm inviting people to come to my retreat, sometimes I feel uncomfortable because I'm trying to sell them. And I imagine that the whole fundraising questions comes sometimes yeah. the same. So you go to a lot of networking events and you take part in a lot of networking. Mm-hmm. So what is your... What do you focus on when you're meeting people and building those relationships, knowing that they could be a donor someday or knowing they could be somebody who'd buy from you and your business? How do you, what's your secret sauce for building those relationships in networking events? Because some people think those networking events are kind of yucky too. So in those networking events, and so this is, you know, honestly, I think a lot of very similar sales um, concepts can be applied to fundraising as well. I think... For me, I have an easier time raising money for an organization than I do selling a good or a product because I I can somehow justify, well, I'm, I'm asking this person for money for the organization, whereas, I don't know, I have a harder time selling a good or product. It, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. That's my own psychology, right? But you're right, though. A lot of the same philosophies and concepts apply to sales and fundraising. Um, and so network in a networking um, event situation, um, so this, again, it's listening. So when you are one-on-one yeah. with someone and you just meet someone, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to ask them questions, right? Be quiet and listen and ask them questions. Um, just like you would, like that's kind of networking 101, right? You go out and you, you ask questions and you, you know, try not to be the one talking more. You want to hear, you want to listen. Um, and then as you're listening, you're kind of taking mental notes about things and, there may be an opportunity right then and there that you feel is good. And, you know, you might say, hey, let's have a follow-up one-on-one 
Zoom call meeting, whatever, um, so that we can continue to talk about that. But sometimes I don't have an opportunity right then and there that I think is going to be a good fit for this person, but I know I still want to continue that relationship and knowing that down the road there might be something and so trying to kind of keep that, that um, their interest in mind for down the road. Um, and sometimes down the road comes much more quickly than you think it might because right. you end up inter- encountering an opportunity where that there could be a good fit for them. So yeah, it's always about listening and it's always about um, when you're networking, um, if this is someone you really truly want to continue a relationship with, make sure that you uh, establish the next step with that person before you both walk away. Oh, right there. Yeah. I, mean, I, I love would to say, go have coffee. Let's I'd have love coffee. To have Zoom. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to schedule it right then and there. Right. But get their commitment to say, yes, I will meet with you. And then here's my card. Sh- yep. Drop me an email. Yeah. Yep. Right. And then okay. make sure you're diligent. I like to say in the next 24 to 48 hours, follow up with the person and try to get on their schedule. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I I also, sometimes my conversations are seriously just about trying to get to know someone and figuring out, is there an opportunity I have that's going to be a good fit for them? Sometimes um, I have an opportunity in mind, and so I'm transparent about that. Mm -hmm. I say, you know, hey, um, would you like to meet with me? I am uh, the fundraiser for... um, you know, the, the food bank downtown and, and, and you own a grocery store and, you know, can we talk about this? And I want to be upfront. I don't ever sure. want to be transparent, but and no, I don't ambush ever want to yeah, yeah, right. switch someone. Um, it, if that's never going to be, that's going to put an uncomfortable situation for you and them if you're not upfront and transparent with why you want to meet with them. Mm. And I love that yeah. honesty and transparency yeah. uh, in any situation where you're connecting with somebody. You know, if there's a, another motive other than just, hey, let's have coffee and get to know each other a little better. It's always good to, to say that up yeah. front. Hey, I have an opportunity. I'd yeah. love to chat with you about that I think you might be interested in. But I love that idea of getting that commitment before you leave the networking event. Yeah. I, I never thought about that. I would be like, oh, yeah, let me give you my email, give you their email. And I never sort of thought of getting that commitment right there yeah. to follow through. Yeah, and I don't always. I mean, there's... But if if it's somebody I seriously want to make sure we are staying connected right away, then I will. Um, but it might, like I said, it might be somebody I don't know. But um, there might be something down the road. Let me just keep them in mind, and yeah. then I probably then I don't I don't make that commitment right then and there. But no, but I, I was, like that I like yeah. that idea when you do have somebody mm-hmm. that you think mm-hmm. you could mm-hmm. target for business, target for fundraising, whatever. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I just think it's you know it's. A, um, I also am a real uh, proponent of communication, and I don't think you can ever over-communicate. So just being upfront with people, being clear about your intentions Mm. all the way through, you know, from the very beginning until the very end. Well, I find, especially when it's either a fundraising situation or a sales situation, that being organized in your communication, Mm -hmm. being organized in the meetings that you have, clearly communicating, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and the biggest thing I've learned during this this last year with the pandemic is clarifying time zones like down to the stupidest little thing but like i'm not assuming that everybody's in my time zone anymore because i don't know where you are right you know i know know. it's it's so much easier to do business with people outside your time zone and i am doing more and more business with people outside the time zone and so i always now specify time zone right but it's being thoughtful about what in this communication, in this email to organize this meeting or this right. email to communicate, to organize this sale or this fundraising moment or whatever, how can I make it as easy for them as possible? That's, that's right. A, that's always something that I focus on as well. I agree with you. Make it as easy on them as possible. 
um, and show them that you know your stuff Ugh. and build your credibility, mm. build your trust, do what you say you're going to do. So go back to that trust. Yeah. How do you build trust? Yeah. How do you, I mean, I think yeah. this organized and yeah, communication is one of them. Yeah. I think communicating, being authentic and transparent from the very beginning. Um, I think uh, doing what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Following you, through. Following through. Um, and when you're in the meeting, um, you know, I think it's also just about the approach, um, showing them your expertise and that you are someone they can t come to as an expert on this topic. Mm. And that's another way to build trust. Ah, so it's, being of value to yes, them. Yeah, ah. yeah. You know, you're an expert on this topic and they know they can come to you for this and you are the expert. Um, and so, yes, being, being of value to them um, and being able to right away show that you're listening. So mm. a lot of times that could just be in paraphrasing back to them what they said. Yep. Um, or when you respond, um, say, you know, oh, this, you know, say you said this and that's what made me think of that. And mm -hmm. so I think that's also really important is, is showing someone that you're really listening to them um, and that you heard them. Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest things when it comes to everything that we're talking about, building long-term relationships, building trust, it takes confidence. Yes. Where does that come from? Where do you get that? <laughs> right? Until you make it. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's like, okay, I just talked to somebody as a, had a coaching call with somebody who was in one of my audiences recently for International Women's Day. And she said, I think... I don't think it's a competence problem. I think it's a confidence problem. I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're the one getting in your own way, right? So how do we get out of our own way? Oh my gosh. I shouldn't be preaching on this because <laughs> I get in my own way. Um, but, you know, I'm practicing that myself, how okay. to get out of my own way for sure. Um, and yeah, like I said, make it until you make it. I mean, <laughs> you guys, you know, right before we sat down here, I was like, I'm not having a great day, but it's going to be a good cock. You know, I think, um, you know, yes, you have to be confident. And um, again, be well prepared. So make sure you're well prepared. Make sure you know your stuff. Um, I've, I, oh, another thing, this is all related to um, in doing your research on them too so yes you've listened mm. but you know what did you do ahead of time uh, to get to know them did you visit their linkedin page did you go to the website for their business um maybe they're on the board of an organization did you check that out like, did you find out like what's important to them uh beforehand um and so for me confidence comes when i know i'm really well prepared and mm. i've been told even by employment recruiters that I over <laughs> but I would rather be over prepared than under prepared and that is what makes me feel confident mm -hmm. when I go out into a meeting or a presentation or you know any kind of interaction with someone if I'm well prepared and I know my stuff and I've got it down and I'm going to make it as easy on them as possible and it's you know and I tell people that with public speaking. Yeah. Every time yeah. I'm teaching a public speaking class, virtual yeah. presenting, I'm like, the more prepared you'll be, yeah. the more you'll be able to deal with the nerves. You'll yeah. still be nervous. You'll still like right. lack confidence a little, and you'll take it a little bit. But the more prepared you are, right, the it's, more confident you're going to be. It's the same concept. Yeah. You know? And if they ask you, typically they ask you questions, and you've, if you've ever prepared, you've got the answer ready to go. <laughs> But then also, if they ask you a question you don't know the answer to, that's okay, too. Right. You say, I don't know, but let me find out and get back to you. So don't ever just say, well, I don't know. Don't ever, if you, they ask you a question that you don't know, don't ever just say, well, I Close don't know. Close the door on it. Yeah. Yeah. Say, 
I'm not, be transparent, be honest, don't, don't, don't lie. baloney your way don't, through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, say, I don't know, but I will find out and get back to you. Right. And that gives you a built in reason to follow up with them right there. Mm. You know, is you can find out and get back to them. And it shows that you're resourceful too. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's not like end of the road. Nope. Sorry. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Do you ever follow up with, you know, contacts you haven't talked to in a year or year and a half because you see an article and you're like, I think they'd like that. Do you ever do that? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think that's another thing too is when we talk about knowing your audience um, and also just knowing your community and being up to date on stuff, um, you know what people's interests are. when You you, you know what your contacts' interests are. Okay. And yeah, maybe you read an article that made you think of them and so you send it or you say, hey, did you see this? You know, this made me think of you. For sure. Um, and that comes along, too, with just cultivating relationships, is knowing what people are involved or interested in, um, and then paying attention to what's happening in the community so that you can make those connections. Yeah. So, Or maybe their kid, like, scored the big game at the basketball game, and the entire community was super excited, and, you know, you can then send them a, a congratulations, you know, your kid made the winning point, you know, so... Just really keep knowing people and finding opportunities to connect with them even outside of whatever it is that you want to do business with them on. Yeah, because I mean, it may be a couple years between engagements. It could be. But it's, yeah, so yeah. it's continuing. That's always something yeah. that's escaped me. Yeah. How do we keep this relationship even though yeah. we're not really? You know, and as a consultant, I'll say, you know, I definitely have relationships, individual relationships with people, but also what I do is help an organization um, cultivate relationships with mass groups of people oh you know and so there's also um you know once you know we think of donors you know as um we say the donor pool or we might say our donor body you uh -huh. know so it's typically it's a large group of people and you might segment them out for different reasons um and certainly um there's nothing better than individual cultivation and what we're talking about right now and knowing the details about certain people and individuals um, but in order to cultivate relationships with large groups of donors in the organization, then we're talking more about communication strategies and just making sure that your fundraising plan and the thought around how you raise funds is embedded into that organizational communication plan. Oh, love it. So um, if you're going to do a newsletter, make sure all your donors are on your mailing list and make sure you've got stuff in your newsletter that really appeals to your donors mm -hmm. you know maybe, and ways to get new ones yep, onto that to list and this applies you know? to to business as well if you're building a marketing strategy for your business mm -hmm. you know building an email list it's the mm -hmm. same thing same it's thing marketing and building that long-term relationship with that group of people if yep. you can't do every single one at the yep. same time yeah. or it might be having events and now it's virtual events right. but even virtual events I've actually been seeing um, some really cool approaches to virtual events and virtual networking rooms. Yeah. And, you know, it's not the same as in person, um, but we're figuring out ways to still make meaningful connections with those virtual events. And so that's another way you can build relationships with your donor base is through the, having these events. Yeah. And um, attending them and saying yes. Yeah, you know, yeah. what I mean, this is part of, I think, building influence is being comfortable with being flexible with what you can do. You know, these days we got a lot of limitations on things we might not be able to do, but yeah. 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 And social media, of course, you want to have a good social media, well, you know, depending on your organization and what different social media outlets you have. Um, cause that's definitely going to be a great way for you to stay connected, especially to your younger donors. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to forget about those younger donors because 
You're they're going to become older want donors them to grow with you. <laughs> sure, you want them to grow with yes. you. Yes. So, as they're young people, they may not have as much disposable income to to invest in your organization, but they will have some, and they want to do it. They're they're um, they're motivated to give, but they're also going to want to get involved in committees, volunteer opportunities, and that's another way to cultivate relationships with your donors is getting them engaged. Hard with labor. Mission yeah. Through volunteering. Um, whether it's sitting on a committee or actually coming to an event and taking the coats or giving the water out at the break station at the race or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so having people volunteering is another great way just to engage them in your mission and build that relationship. Well, um, and that's one of the things I talk about in my leadership workshops is making people feel valuable. And mm-hmm. that's what that exactly what that mm-hmm. is. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. you can't, and this is when I was asked to be on the uh, board of Warm Hearts Foundation, I had just started my business. And, I, and they asked me, and I said, I have no money. Like, I want you to know, I can't give money. And they're like, oh, we're good. We'll find stuff for you to do. And I'm like, okay, as long as we're on the same page here. Uh, transparency, building trust, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but but making people feel valued, like they're a yeah. value to the organization, yeah. whether they're on your team at work or whether they're your fundraisers yeah. or then, your customers. And then like you, like Warm Hearts with you, finding the right fit so Mm -hmm. you know yeah as a nonprofits we certainly do need board members who can fundraise who can give and 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 fundraise money from their network but there are so many other things to that you can need to get done so many other valuable skills that people have that they can contribute at that level and so being able to identify what those skills are and how to really leverage them for your organization. And then also that person feels valued because they're like, wow, I'm, I'm contributing my skills. It's helping this organization. And then that's gonna help build the relationship which eventually will build um, donations as well. Right, Yeah, love it. The board, that's another thing. Um, just being really an org- uh, clear about what you expect from your board. And um, like with your with warm hearts they don't expect every board member to fundraise and so but they knew that right they it wasn't sort of like well we're just gonna let ann get by she doesn't have to fundraise no they had a defined role of what they expected from the board and and maybe not everyone has to do fundraising maybe they say you know we know we have we need to have at least five people on the board that we know can help continue to expand their networks and engage and and you know get us but then you also have other leadership skills. So you just want to make sure you understand as an organization what you're what you want your board to do and then be really clear about with them and transparent with them about what those expectations are. Yeah. Um, and I think clear expectations yeah. is a huge influence builder yeah. no matter what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Um, whether it's working with your boss, working with your team, working with your board, mm-hmm. working with anybody. Yeah. Being clear about what is ex- what was you know can yeah. be expected from our interaction, yeah, and it that, puts everybody on the same page. And a lot of times, if a board member doesn't have a good experience, it's because they didn't have shared expectations, right? Yeah, and the trust is lost. Yeah, yep, yep. And then they don't feel valuable, and they're like, "What? Right? This isn't." Yeah. Yep. And unfortunately, I have a board member in one of my associations right now that I think is feeling that way. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and I, that's that's my error there. So. You well, recognize these things. We'll talk later. We're yeah, all, we're all we'll we're all growing. We're all on a journey. So, what is your favorite part of your job? <laughs> uh, let's see. What's my favorite part of my job? Um, you know, right now with the consulting work, what it's been is going into an organization and helping them triage and understand areas for strength. Um, 
and then making some recommendations, having them follow that, and then seeing them grow. Um, that to me right now has just been, you know, for me, what really motivates me is helping to find creative solutions to problems and, mm. and then seeing how those, you know, problems get solved with the creative solution that I helped contribute to, you know, that, that really gets me up. That's what gets me up every morning. Yeah. And, um, and so I, that's what I love to do with my clients is come in and, you know, I do assessments too. I do an assessment of their fundraising program and then, um, make recommendations for how they can strengthen it. And, and then, it, and then sometimes they actually have, have me do the work to do the implementation and do the strengthening. Um, and so, yeah, that to me is really what, what drives me is, is helping the organizations, um, get even better at what they do. And, yeah. and what is your favorite pre-race pump up song? My favorite pre-race pump up song right now is probably, um, let's see, let me think about it. Hold on. Blasting in the car uh-huh. on the way to run. I'm really in, I'm really digging on um, Dua Lipa right now. Pretty much anything that she, her whole new album right now. Okay. Got me going. I'm going to have anything, to go look it up. Anything by Dua Lipa. So let's see. Um, what's the one I'm listening to right now? What's the name of the artist? Dua Lipa. Dua Lipa. Yeah, she's a pop singer. Okay. It's, it's, um, it's dance music. Okay. Like she'll tell you, like, she just wants people to dance. That's all I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, any, I, like, Dua Lipa's whole new album right now all right. has got me going. Okay. Yeah. I want to go get that. Yeah. Well, Trisector Consulting is your web, is your company. I'm going to put the link and everything in the show notes. And also, Dua Lipa, I'm going to put the link to the new album. Uh, <laughs> so, if you want to get more information from Jill, you can find her there. Jill, thank you so much for your time and thank for sharing all your influence gems with us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Aunt Bonnie. Confidence. Confidence and knowing that you're contributing to good when it comes to having difficult conversations at work, when it comes to raising money for our favorite nonprofit, or when it comes to networking, confidence is key. Thank you so much, Jill May, for bringing us all of your insights. And thank you for listening to Ignite Your Influence podcast. Like it? Love it on Apple Podcasts. If you want a weekly boost of influence igniting action, I've got a great email list. It's short, it's quick. I don't try to sell you everything every week. And it's a midweek boost to help you get through the week with a little bit of energy and a little bit more influence. So that link is in the show notes as well as how to get in touch with Jill Nay from Tri Sector Consulting. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.